Thank you, Matthew. And uh, that's it for this week's Film 11. Uh, we hope to have some uh, different alternative voices along with our regulars in the future. And uh, uh, But we'll keep dutifully uh, doing this service for you as long as we can take it. But until then, keep watching the screens. listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM and streaming online at kboo.fm. Radio show for the week of June 10th, 2020. I'm Matob Nyungu. And I'm Tatara Masingba. And Uhuru means freedom in Swahili. And freedom is something we want on our minds day and night. The piece we just heard is titled Revolution by the group Boyo Music, which is befitting right now as it is a call for revolution. One fun fact is Boyo actually is part of the original name of Aiti, which is Aiti Keskeya Boyo. A month ago, Haiti's number of COVID-19 infections barely registered on the global radar screen. But a leading medical group warns that that has now changed alarmingly. At the end of April, Haiti had reported only 81 new coronavirus cases and eight deaths. Those COVID-19 figures have since spiked to more than 3,000 cases and 50 deaths. The international medical nonprofit, Doctors Without Borders, says that due to lack of testing, the count is likely much higher. Other reports suggest that the increase is partially a result of more than 17,000 so-called migrants returning to Haiti from the Dominican Republic over the last couple of weeks after losing their jobs due to, to the coronavirus lockdown. That country, which shares a border with Haiti, had 13,223 recently confirmed cases and 441 deaths. But critics say that the COVID-19 virus itself was brought into Haiti from abroad, including the first two initial cases, which originated in European countries of Belgium and France. Haiti's growing crisis is reflected across so-called Latin America and the Caribbean, which scientists say is the global hotspot for COVID-19's second wave. Until this month, it looked like Latin America and the Caribbean might be spared the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Then the world saw the tragic images from Ecuador of a sudden and overwhelming number of deaths from new coronavirus outbreaks of corpses lining the sidewalks in the port city of Guayaquil. Meanwhile, the number of cases in Brazil is doubling or tripling every week, and so are the number of deaths. Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, who represents Florida's 24th district, has introduced legislation calling for the suspension of deportations to Haiti until the COVID-19 pandemic has ended in the U.S. and in Haiti. So Emmanuel Toto Constant, a close friend of Raul Cedras, the Haitian Army General, who carried out the 1991 U.S. George Bush Sr. CIA-led coup 
against newly elected President Jean Bertrand Aristide has won a brief reprieve from deportation from the U.S. last month when his removal was canceled by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, also known as ICE. Emmanuel Toto Constant was a death squad leader in the U.S. and European colony of Haiti and once boasted that voodoo and the CIA shielded him from trouble. After the 1991 George Bush Sr. CIA-led coup that toppled President Jean-Bertrand Aristide, the new U.S. President William Jefferson Clinton pressured Aristide to adopt more exploitative capitalist economic policies as a condition of restoring him to power in 1994. Clinton succeeded in getting Aristide to moderate his program of social reform and drop tariffs on rice to the advantage of U.S. capitalist agribusiness. The U.S. had no problem subsidizing Constance's murder of Africans throughout Haiti, but in 2008, while living in New York, Constance was convicted of mortgage fraud and grand larceny and sentenced to 37 years in a New York state prison. He was released last month after serving 12 years and placed in U.S. immigration custody. According to the Miami Herald, the Trump administration is planning on deporting him in an upcoming ICE air deportation flight. It seems the U.S. is not only deporting COVID-19 to the island of Haiti, they are also deporting their disposable neo-colonial hitmen. Today's guest, Alikia Ngoma, was born on August 11, 1991, to a family of Africans from Haiti. There, Alikia witnessed many of the contradictions that Africans face around the world, especially those who come from Haiti. Alikia Ngoma is the Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper. Welcome, Alikia. Uhuru, Uhuru, thank you for having me on this show. So we're just going to jump right in there and um, just begin with the question of how is COVID-19 impacting Haiti overall? I think we have to go back a bit to see how Haiti was immediately before COVID-19, where we know that um, the coronavirus initiated a period of lockdown for many countries around the world. But the truth is for Haiti, had already been on lockdown since 2019 itself um, because of a lot of the resistance that was taking place there, and we could talk about that a bit later. And so COVID-19 just added, um, although there have not been, I haven't seen, you know, many mobilizations and new resistance, but it, it has added to the increase of um, everything in terms of, like, buying things. The inflation has gone up tremendously. Um, in the beginning, people were not even able to um, follow the lockdown because when, you, when you're living in places like Haiti where you don't have electricity like that or at all in, in many cases, and so you don't have a fridge, you have to go out every day to get you know your milk, your meat, whatever it is that you would get. And that is a danger in, in and of itself because if um, someone was asymptomatic and everybody's out doing what they have to do on a day-to-day -day basis, then, you know, that could be a huge problem. Um, in the beginning, there were no cases of coronavirus, so that's why that didn't happen in the beginning, like right at the start. Um, but, you know, the numbers are increasing at the point that we had the first two cases enter the country the numbers have been increasing every day. There are updates of an increase of number and in and an increase of deaths, as Tuchara said. So there isn't really any room for for comfort because when you're in a country that does not that's very low on infrastructure, very low on hospitals. You know, I think there are like four hospitals in the whole country or something like that. A very low number like that, which is part of why people were resisting anyway the increase of numbers presents itself as like a death threat. Wow. And in a recent Burning Spear news article, you wrote, and um, we paraphrase you on this, the United Nations and its warmongers contaminated the body of water that many Africans in the country rely on to do everyday things like wash clothes, swim, and even bathe. Ten years later, Haiti now has to deal with another imported disease. What do you mean when you say imported disease? Yeah, so in that article, I was, I don't immediately remember the name of that article, but I was, it will come to me. I was talking about the cholera uh, 
you know, situation that happened in Haiti starting 10 years ago. Mm. I say important now because just like cholera did not exist in Haiti before it was introduced to Haiti, this is what happened with the coronavirus. The first two cases of coronavirus or COVID-19 was one European who was traveling from Belgium who came into the country, and the other is said to be an artist who's from Haiti but who was in France and you know France had a lot of cases early on and even at the point that the government in Haiti said that they were not accepting flights anymore they did accept him to come in which was just very negligent and you know there's some speculation on if he really had it but he was still counted as the second case so he came in with it and that particular one is just neocolonialism because the government should have said, we understand that you're an artist and you're from Haiti, but you are coming back from France. This is a celebrity. He gets there to the airport. All the fans are going to want to hug him and, you know, take pictures, all that extra mm-hmm. stuff. And then besides those two, the next set of cases that were coming in were all people who were traveling from outside of Haiti into Haiti. So it is seen as an imported disease even if it was not imported in the same way as cholera was, where our water was, you know, literally intentionally uh, infected. So how has the government of Haiti responded to the COVID-19 crisis? Oh, man, it has been just disgraceful, a complete disgrace. At one point, the, the government was completely silent, first of all, and the only propaganda that was put out was to tell people, to stay at home and wash your hands, which, you know, on surface might sound like good advice, stay at home, wash your hands. But again, when you're living in a country, you can't do that. You can't even stay at home to wash your hands because you got to go outside to go get water in a country like Haiti. So what, what exactly are you telling the people? And then as far as the question of resources, um, you know, the government said that they would give 3,000 goods to the people of Haiti. And so just to break that down, um, five goods make one, one Haitian dollar. So 3,000 goods is, goods is um, 600 Haitian dollars, but that's not a lot of money because the inflation has gone up so bad that one U.S. one US dollar right now is at about 20 Haitian dollars. So one, one U.S. dollar, yeah, is about, is at 20 Haitian dollars. So... 600, um, I I wish I had the chart before me, 600 Haitian dollars is not enough for a day Mm. there. So that was the response of the government. And even then, I don't think those resources have even been given. The last I checked, it was just said. It was never given. The people are still without electricity. I don't remember what it stands for, but that's the electricity company. It's E-B-H. They're not giving anybody any electricity. The people have been completely in the dark. It's just very disgraceful. And while I'm at it, I do want to say that electricity in Haiti has been used as a weapon. Like, not only do the country, even in this quote-unquote peaceful times, not have electricity, or what they do is they'll give a certain area electricity for a certain amount of time for the day and then cut it off and give the next area. But during 2019, um, in the protests, one of the punishments they would do was cut off electricity, although it did not work. But people were getting about 30 minutes of electricity a day and one day a week, wow. so 30 minutes, minutes of electricity a week. And that was, you know, last year. This year, where you see all these governments who are trying to cover themselves by doing things to show that they quote-unquote stand with the people and Haiti is not even doing that so um, it's just been a complete lack of a response. Wow Uh, the people of Haiti are just going through things that you know even as tough as it is here that are just unimaginable to people here. Wow so you've been very open about your battle with uh, sickle cell disease and um, what is sickle cell disease and aside from the, the obvious concerns, are there any special concerns for people who suffer from sickle cell disease and COVID-19? Oh yes, sickle cell disease is a hereditary disease so you can't catch it, it's not contagious, it's completely genetic, where um, your blood cells are shaped like sickles. 
like um like a half moon um uh, type of shape as opposed to being round um as a regular blood cell would and because of their shape or really they're deoxygenated which gives them these shapes and because of their shapes it um it's very hard for it to get through your veins and your capillaries you know and and just through your body because they they are made for round blood cells and so they um just are very sticky and they have a short life um they have the lifespan i think about half the lifespan of a of a regular blood cell or maybe one third of the lifespan of a regular blood cell and so you know people who have sickle cell disease it it brings on many complications a lot of times people just talk about um the pain which is very severe and literally the worst in the world there's no other pain that compares to the pain of a sickle cell crisis that is one thing and that pain comes from when your blood when your cells get stuck and can't go through your body but it also can cause other other damage like um because of the shapes of them like for example me i just posted recently that i had a liver transplant in 2012 mm-hmm. well i had to have it because my first liver was damaged because of the blood cells themselves was like poking at the liver and it just does other things to your body. It brings on other um, illnesses as well. So for someone who has sickle cells, like they have to be fighting extra hard to stay out of the hospitals at this time for multiple reasons. One, from the early onset of uh, COVID-19, a lot of the pages that talk about sickle cell have been telling people, although you can never control a crisis, you can never um, you know, prevent one from happening, but just staying hydrated and take your medicine because if you go to the emergency room, you, you probably are not going to get seen because of so many other patients that are there. And then also people with sickle cell already get um, very poor treatment in the hospitals anyway. But mm. so you have the, the question of not being able to be seen at these emergency rooms, not being able to get cared for. And then having a pre-existing condition we know for any pre-existing condition if you contract COVID-19 it worsens whatever symptoms you would have it makes it drastically worse so I just you know if anyone who who hears this and has sickle cell to really do what you have to do to stay safe and to avoid the hospital as much as possible because it's it's like a double risk so you are listening to the People's War Radio Show produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Reports from the Ground from Haiti. Our guest is Alikia Ngoma, Haiti editor of the Burning Spears newspaper. I wanted to uh, ask you, why is it that you refer to the coronavirus as the colonial virus? <laughs> well, um actually i i think the the coronavirus is one of the colonial viruses really but um the coronavirus has exposed so many contradictions that already existed and showed exactly what colonialism is i mean from from the question of how the virus was created you know um there were research articles stating that at one point, the U.S. had five strands of the coronavirus, whereas other countries had only two. Even China had only one or two strands. And a place that has the most strands is the place that it originated from because that strand has had enough time, well, that virus has had enough time to um, to evolve into different strands. So you have that, and then you have the attack on China that was being made by the U.S. government with it. Um, you have all the questions of why is in Africa getting it? You know, that whole thing as if they, they were saying, hey, we made this for Africans, and why is it not? Why are they not getting it to the point that we did get it? Um, but you have, like, you know, just different African states that the people are, we have no defense against it. Um, like we talked about Haiti, you know, the same thing we can say is, is happening on the continent. You have here within the U.S. where most of the people who are affected and dying by the virus are African people. 
all of those things are they just expose the co- the colonial contradiction that already exists and then i want to say that colonial uh colonialism itself is is a virus so uh, colon- the coronavirus is one of the colonial viruses and you see colonialism as a common theme in the coronavirus but even in things like the deadly 2010 earthquake in Haiti, how was that a question of colonialism? You know, that earthquake where hundreds of thousands of Africans in Haiti lost their lives and about another million were displaced, you know, earthquakes happen all the time in the world. Haiti is not the first place to have an earthquake. It's not the last. It happens all the time, even in California, amongst where these millionaires and stuff like that live. But the difference is that they have the infrastructure, you know, the proper infrastructure to to have buildings that can protect the people against earthquakes. The same thing as like when landslides and mudslides happen in Africa. You know, it's not necessarily what happened. It's the fact that we don't have a, a defense. We don't have any prop. We don't have the right buildings everything collapsed around us so that's one aspect of it and then the second aspect is that all of these you know parasitic NGOs they come into the country Haiti is a country with the most NGOs per capita in the world they come in and they feed off of you know the misery of the people they make a lot of money from stealing the donations that come in from people's sympathy you know, we talk about Haiti and the work, the Red Cross, where it was revealed that with all the billions of uh, dollars that came in, they only built six houses, and they can't even really call those houses what they built. Um, mm. So all of that is, is colonialism. It opens the door for just more people to come in and colonize and just really keep African people oppressed. And so um, since 2010 and, and those original six houses, are you saying that they they haven't even built any more in 10 years? The Red Cross only built those six houses. The former president, Michel Martelly, he built like, um, he built a neighborhood of houses, which was like, um, I don't know what we would call call that in English, but just a little neighborhood that the people were in temporarily but just last year either 2019 or 2018 I believe it was 2018 many of them were being kicked out because they were not able to pay to live there and mind you these are the same people who were moved into these houses because they were made homeless um, after the earthquake so I don't know how it was expected that they would be able to pay anything anyway so those houses you could say I mean, they were built, and then people came in for a bit, and then you kicked them all out. So what use was that, really? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah right. there are people still living in there are people still living in you shelters right now. Yeah, there are people still living in um, shelters or in tents on the streets. Like, if you go to Haiti right now, especially in Port-au-Prince, where the earthquake happened itself, you would think that, the, you know, the earthquake happened January... 2010, you would think it's just the next day. Uh, it happened January 12th. You would think it's January 13th in, in the sense that not much, nothing has changed. Wow. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Reports from the Ground from Haiti. Our guest is Alikia Ngoma, Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper. Alikia, I wanted to ask you about another uh, specific subject uh, in regard to Haiti that you have become an expert in and have written about. You talk about the Haitian Revolution, and one of the things you say is that it inspired rebellions and revolutions throughout the U.S. and throughout the world. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how that revolution has inspired so many others? Yes. Well, Haiti's revolution was the first successful revolution of enslaved people, uh, specifically African people. Um, You know, there were attempts always being made. African people have always been resisting. um, But that just was the first um, extremely organized and successful one. And 
it inspired Africans around the world in many ways. One, at, at, um, when victory was won, Jean-Jacques Dessalines made a declaration that any African anywhere in the world, make it to Haiti, you would be free, and you would even be given land, actually, and that happened. So you had Africans escaping from Jamaica, and they, they made it to Haiti, and um, I, the English even wrote to, to the leaders of Haiti asking for them to return the property back. And uh, this Aline responded saying, okay, we'll return you your ships and your guns and, you know, whatever else is on there, but we're keeping the people because people are not property. Um, you had Nat Turner, um, who was inspired by the revolution of Haiti and organized the resistance here in the U.S. You had Demas Vesey, who also was inspired by the revolution and planning was planning to take Africans to Haiti, about 6,000 Africans into Haiti. And I believe at one, another point, there were many other Africans who left the U.S. and, and came and went to Haiti. You also had Jean-Jacques Dessalines, who was sending Africans to other parts of the world, like what we call the Bolivar uh, Revolution and just other revolutions in quote-unquote South America um, that you know to to help kick off those those resistances and it was also you know just the first workers led revolution the the Haiti revolution inspired Marcus Garvey you know um Marcus Garvey who was one of the best leaders Africa African people have ever had who organized up to 11 million African people around the world in his time um about 100 years ago you know, he was heavily inspired by Jean-Jacques Dessalines and even the, call, even the recognition that we were all the same people. Because for Dessalines to have said, if any black person makes it to Haiti, you'll be free, that means that he recognized that we were all the same people. You had uh, uh, other resistances in Jamaica that were inspired by Haiti. You had Louisiana, just really around the world. Haiti inspired so so many revolutions and resistance and also has been instrumental in just the fight against oppression. For example, one more point during the Holocaust, you know, um, that people like to use the Holocaust. People like to use the story of the Holocaust to dim down what slavery of African people was and make that seem like it was the greatest crime against humanity. But during the Holocaust, Haiti sent anywhere up to 700, um, anywhere between 300 and 700 Haitian passports to Jews, Jewish people who were escaping those conditions and gave them Haitian passports so they could come to Haiti and be free. So this is, you know, this is Haiti. This is, has always been Haiti. Wow, that's very profound. No, it? it is, right? I didn't know about that yeah. part. Did you, T'Challa? Well, I'm, I'm, I learned a little bit about it from the writings of uh, our guest today. Wow. And you also, Alikia, really, and you kind of touched on this, but you really talk about the significance of this revolution uh, to the entire world in terms of its contribution to very profound questions of theory, you know, revolutionary theory that uh, gets overlooked when uh, the Haitian Revolution is discussed. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the its contributions to pr the profound revolutionary theory of the world? You know, in particular, you talk about it, uh, you know we see how and who is an African. The question of the African nation is defined, um, and also the uh, phrase that came out of this revolution, "coupe tabule kai." You know, and, and what uh, the implications of that in terms of state power? Yes, um, those are good questions. So on the question of who is African and who makes up the African nation, I will say that within the revolution of Haiti itself, the original constitution that Jean-Jacques Dessalines wrote, he stated that only, only black people could own land in Haiti. Only African people can own land in Haiti. White people were not allowed to own land. And then um, at the same time of, of doing that or stating that, he also named some of the white people that were on the island black 
and these I, these people specifically were the Polish who were in Haiti at that time, and they were working under the leadership of the African people there. They were fighting with the Africans against the French, and so while all the Europeans who were French were murdered, uh, the Polish were who were there survived, and Dessalines named them black, and that is what gave it legitimacy that they could even own land. Otherwise, they would not have been able to own land. And that I think that's just a stance of like, you know, he's he's he he recognized that black was the fight against the oppression, white was the oppressor, and this is black. If you're gonna be black and if you're gonna be here, you have to take a stance against oppression. And I think that's just clear. Like the African people have never had a history of oppressing anybody. That's not our history. Um, we have you know before colonialism we were all of these great things and you know slavery interrupted our history and even now as we fight for our freedom we fight to be liberated but we don't fight to become oppressors unless we're you know trying to get rid of the oppressor themselves so i think that is just a profound question of this I mean, ability to to recognize that and then also the african nation itself when he said all black people, you know, if you make it to Haiti, you'll be free, so that he recognized that we're one nation. Um, the question of Kubetet Bulekai, which translates to cut heads, burn houses, you know, Desalin recognized that everything had to go. He was different from Toussaint Louverture in that sense. Toussaint was the one that was leading the revolution and initiated a lot of the stuff, and in Jean-Jacques Desalin was, you could say, like the secretary general. Um, who took on the fight after Toussaint, you know, agreed to get on the boat and meet with the French and essentially was kidnapped um, and taken to go die in prison. So, Jean-Jacques Dessalines understood the class question. Toussaint was born to a royal family. Mm. And that, uh, right there, as great um, of a, like, uh, strategist he was in terms of organizing the Africans, there was still a class question there. He was born from a royal family. He also felt that because he had all these military trainings that he would be seen as equal to the French in terms of, you know, military men respecting one another. But this, I mean, understood that, like, they, you know, you can't trust the oppressor on any level. And mm. he was willing to destroy everything because Susan never... Um, actually declared Haiti independent. He actually never said, all, with all the rebellions he led, he never actually like abolished slavery or so, like like the way Desalines did, you know? So, yeah, to so the question of theory, it's important to understand, you know, one, class, right? And then the oppressor versus the oppressed and the relationship that we have and that that can't be mended. You know, you can't become equal to the person that is oppressing you. So. Very good. And you're listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Reports from the Ground from Haiti, and our guest is Alikia Ngoma, Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper. Alikia, uh, um, just uh, back to COVID-19 and essential workers, um, lessons from Haiti on essential workers and the and the role of the workers in revolution. The 1805 Constitution said that agriculture, the most noble and the most useful of all arts, shall be honored and protected. Um, what does that mean? Yeah, we know that workers are the social force that produce all value in the life mm -hmm. in, in in society, and. You know, the way capitalism is now, you would look down on people who are agriculturists, who are farmers, and who are uh, peasants and, and, and these type of things, but they are literally producing and reproducing life. And in Haiti, we actually have a quote that says, um, which means work is freedom. And although mm. right now African people are not working for ourselves um, because we are not free, but when you are working, especially those types of skills, the people who, who build things, the, the sciences, agriculture, that's what moves society forward. As great as, you know, someone can sing and 
as talented as someone may be at dancing and it's great and it has a place in society, you know, there there is honor in the work. Haiti has a long and rich history of resistance. And you mentioned the slogan of the Haitian Revolution, Coupe Tet Boulekai, which means cut their heads yep. and burn their houses. Uh, what are your yes. thoughts about the uprisings throughout the U.S., including, like, the burning of property and police stations in response to the police murders <laughs> of Africans here? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think burning of the police stations is a profound statement, and it also shows that the community is conscious of what the contradiction is and where it comes from. You know, resistance, we have a right to resist. You know, if somebody is choking you, somebody hits you, you have a right to defend yourself and and protect yourself your and your community. The only thing is organized resistance is key because you can be in a place of resisting all the time. I mean, we even see that present day in Haiti where the people have always been resisting, has never stopped resisting, and yes, they give the neocolonial leaders hell, just like those of us here in the U.S., give um, these fake leaders in our community hell, but revolutionary organized resistance is what will actually take you to, to freedom and out of this because otherwise you just be doing these like sporadic moments of, of resisting. But as far as like the burning of police spaces, the burnings of, of property, I mean, it just sounds like Kupetet Bulekai to me, so I have no problem. <laughs> 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 okay, thank you for yeah. that. Um, and what is the African Socialist International and the significance of it? Um, and you also talked about how Bessemine sent Africans of the world to fight. Can we expand on that a bit? Yes. So the African Socialist International is is made up of African People's Socialist Party organizations around the world, which I am a member of, and we continue in the work of. Jean-Jacques Dessalines, of, of Marcus Garvey, of Malcolm X, we believe in revolution. A literal revolution is unfolding um, you know, before us and that African people have to do this as one body, a united revolution, international uh, revolution, so that we can achieve a united socialist Africa and African people. Because we know that um, Haiti, for example, can't do this alone. Africans in Jamaica can't fight their battles alone. Africans in the Congo or anywhere else in Africa can't do it alone. But at the point that we recognize that we are one African nation and that we are also fighting the same enemy, but most importantly that we are one African nation, that changes how we even approach the struggle. You know, this whole question of uh, the nation is so important because like you said, and I'm glad you said it like that because it helped me understand it better, is that they acknowledge that the contradiction is between white power and African, you know, enslavement and colonization. But they also yeah. said that um, that we want to create a world where, uh, you know, the nation nations can wither away, essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what we're struggling for. We don't imagine that uh, the world will forever be separated into nations. We want to create a revolution that eradicates colonial capitalism fully, and then yeah. nations, yeah. the whole concept of nation itself can wither away eventually. You know, it's just profound. And the thing is that nobody treats our revolutions like this because that little, mm -hmm. that, you know, like the Marxists and mm -hmm. stuff point yeah. to in uh, the Paris Commune mm -hmm. and you know, the 1905 yeah. revolution and, uh, you know, uh, this mm -hmm. is way more profound than the revolutionary <laughs> lessons, you know, that <clears throat> translated to revolu advanced revolutionary theory are there and yeah. profound mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's, it's just is. Mm. I mean, they still teach that, fr that France, I mean, not France, Napoleon was never defeated. That's what they're mm. still teaching. I had a, another question for you. Do you know uh, anything about the uh, level and type of organization that occurred before, you know, they launched the assault? I don't know it in great detail. That's still some of the stuff I'm reading, but I, I do know some of it. For example, there's this one person, his name is uh, Mathendal, 
he's one of the people who we, we see as like a hero. He organized for a lot of people, uh, a lot of Africans to poison um, the masters. So that was one, that was one, and it was coordinated where it was happening at the same time. Not like this master is sick and then two days later the next one is. It was very organized. Just other things, I know that there was um, a period where two Africans were, were murdered and Desaline ordered for that same amount to be of colonizers to, to be murdered at the same time. So um, I'm still learning some of the specifics, but um, there was extreme organization. Oh, this is one. So maonage is a, is a term that we use in Haiti, um, and that actually it means so Maon means maroon, like you know how they talk about the maroons who are in Jamaica and other places like that. Um, but in Haiti, the 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 Maon they they hid a lot in the mountains because Haiti has a lot of mountains. So that was one level of cal- camouflage they did. Um, how do you spell level that? Of, uh, M-A-W-O-N, um, but they are the maroons. The, the same okay. maroons that you talk about like in Jamaica um, okay. so they they hid a lot but also another thing they did is um, when you in Haiti they call it maonage when you're, you're camouflaging and you're hiding especially through words and so mm. uh, in addition to creating Creole which Creole is its own language which um, means that was one way for Africans to communicate amongst each other. But they would also speak a very coded way to the French in French itself. Um, and so that what they're saying is not what they mean. Um, but the, like, I, I don't just mean like um, using Creole to answer French. I mean that the French would, let, let's say they ask a question or whatever it is, and the African responds back in French, but what, and the French is satisfied with the answer, but that's not what the African means when they're saying what they're saying. So that's called maunage. And that was a system that they developed wow. so that um, they could know their <laughs> affairs and, and the French would not know what was going on because at the, they were playing, they were not playing, but they were doing maunage. I don't have a practical example, but um that's yeah that's one thing for sure um this is how they were able to keep what they were planning away from the french because of the malinage itself wow. sort of like what the enslaved people here did with quilts <coughs> where the the whole story or the plan would be laid out in a quilt through sewing right. and everything something like that okay or like or like braiding hair um, mm-hmm, Africans, mm-hmm. Africans here braiding hair, <clears throat> but with 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 the people in in Haiti, it was with the words themselves, and it's to the point that sometimes, let's say I'm speaking regular conversation to someone, and they don't want to answer a certain question, and they and I can sense that, and so they start answering this kind of way. I'll be like, hey, stop, stop the malinage, like stop it, you know, just answer me clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Give me okay. a clear answer. Don't say one thing. And I don't want to break it down into lies because it's not just a lie. There, there was a, you could say an art to how they did it. Because remember, the mm-hmm. French had to be satisfied. The French had to be satisfied with whatever the enslaved were saying. So part of it was, I need to be able to say what you, uh, what I know you want to hear so that I can keep mm-hmm. my life. But I know that I don't mean what you're hearing. So Right, um, right. The same thing was like for them to keep, you know, voodoo and stuff like that. They, um, the the different like voodoo laws, the voodoo spirits. They use images of like, um, like Mary and Jesus and Peter and all these different saints. And mm-hmm. so when the master would see them, they see them praying to these saints. But they, the image of the saint is there, but that's not who they are serving. They're serving the voodoo spirits, but it looks like they're, that's another form of Maonite. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah. I, I actually wanted to talk about um, 
the um, the French in Louisiana and the, the influence of Haiti. I know somewhat ab- about that history, but not a lot about it, like the Creoles yeah. and everything and the influence of Haiti on just basically creating and building that culture, that whole culture. Yeah, absolutely. So you you have one thing is that, you know, the French did enslave Africans in that territory. Um, and then because of the revolution um, of Haiti, they had to sell that part to Louisiana. So that was, you know, I'm not Louisiana, to the U.S. Um, so that's what was known as the Louisiana Purchase. But besides that, a lot of Africans left Haiti. Um, some were taken to Haiti. Some were left Haiti. Some left Haiti. Some were sent to Haiti. Um, as part of organizing resistance around the world, like I talked about Delon um, in the article, he was originally from Haiti, and then he went to start an insurrection in Louisiana. So you have a lot of the early Africans there were, were from Haiti directly. Even when you talk about New Orleans, the way those houses are built, you know how they have a look? You know you're looking at New Orleans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those houses are, are, that city is designed after a city in Haiti named Jacmel. That's that mm. look. Yeah, wow. and a lot of the architects, a lot of the architects, you know, come from Haiti. So when you talk about the culture, it's even in the, the architecture of of, uh, of New Orleans. Wow, that's a whole yeah. article in itself. You know, <laughs> St. Louis, <laughs> you know, St. Louis has that relationship because you know that was this was part of the so-called Louisiana territory, yeah. and um, even the first 500 African enslaved Africans who were brought to county south of St. Louis called uh, St. Genevieve, the first 500 Africans were brought in from Haiti to work mm-hmm. in the um, the uh, lead mines in St. Genevieve County, which, by the the way, still has a prison, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, funding a- the damn county. You know, that's and and then of course the first uh, English, I'm sorry, the first French uh, colonizers came up from Louisiana, Choteau and the uh, Cleed. Uh, they came up from New Orleans into St. Louis and colonized St. Louis for the French, and then eventually uh, it was taken over. You know, of course it was purchased, so this in quotations by uh, Jefferson in, in the U.S. and uh, became English territory and Lewis and Clark eventually uh, began to map out this territory which later, by the way, became the mapping agency which became the NGA. Mm. You know. There, there's a city there's a city in Missouri called Haiti H-A-Y-T-I. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that spelling that's how people pronounce is one of yeah. is one of the is, is, sure that is. spelling is one of the original spellings of Haiti. Sure is. I wow. saw it. I just, that's how that's sure. how the Italians spelled it. Because yeah, the, the Taino sure spelled it A Y I T I, but uh, another early spelling is H A Y T I. Sure did. I saw that today when I was reading through the Constitution that they created in 1805. This one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sure does. Spell it the same way. It's right. It's the tip of Missouri too. It's the southern tip, southern boot. Of South uh, East Missouri. Yeah. You guys pronounce it differently because you just said Haiti, but I yeah, I think people I pronounce it Haiti. Oh, okay. Yeah, but yeah, it's Haiti. That's, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> it's Haiti. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU Black Power ninety six point three FM in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Reports from the Ground from Haiti. Our guest is Alikia Ngoma, Haiti editor of the Bernie Spear newspaper. We mentioned um, a lockdown prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, and you sort of touched on what that was about. What what was that lockdown about? Yeah, so that lockdown came both as a response to and as part of the resistance that was taking place in Haiti um, 2018 and especially 2019. And this is a response to the Petro Caribe report that was released. And Petro Caribe is a program that was introduced by Venezuela where they would sell their oil to um, Caribbean countries for just a portion of what they would normally sell them for. And the rest of the resources 
would have to go to building in infrastructure in the country. And it was, you know, released that Haiti's government blew the money. It was billions of dollars that was blown. They did not spend it on anything. So at the point that it that was discovered, um, you know, the people took to the streets. What happened initially, the, the proper timeline is that the the IMF ordered for the government to increase the price of gas. And gasoline is necessary for countries like Haiti that, as I said earlier, have no electricity. So you, you rely on gas and gasoline for everything. So at the moment that those prices went up, the people started to resist. And then it was revealed why those prices went up in the first place. So um, they were to use the 40% to build the country, institutions, hospitals, schools. And over 25 years, they would pay back Venezuela at one, uh, with 1% interest rate and billions of dollars were blown. So that led to a year straight of resistance, people in the streets. And um, that's eventually what led to the country locked. Schools shut down, teachers were quitting. Some of them were quitting because they weren't getting paid. Some of them were quitting because they were in the streets with the people, you know, uh, protesting. So hospitals were not functioning. The, the few hospitals that we do have were not functioning jobs were closed down because either everybody was being affected or everybody was closing their things down to go in the streets themselves. So yeah, that it was it was uh we called it Payi Lock, which means locked country. Um mm. and so Haiti right now is in another is a, is in another kind of Payi Lock because of coronavirus. Uh Alikia, you earlier you mentioned uh a term neocolonialism. I want you to talk a little bit about that because you also, you know, you talk about the Haitian uh, revolution, but you also talk about uh, some of the reasons why Haiti is still poor today. You mentioned colonialism, but what does the term neocolonialism mean? Okay. Um, neocolonialism, it can be defined as, in, in its simplest form, white power in blackface. It's when the colonizers realize that they can't rule in the same way, they can't rule a particular people in the same way anymore. So they take people from the population they're trying to colonize, sell out, and use them against them. So an example of that is what Barack Obama re represented um, here in the United States. And so Haiti, you have a country that is supposed to be free, is supposed to be independent. You know, Jean-Jacques Dessalines did all this great stuff, um, and then we were free. But as we know, the U.S., France, England, all, the white world really banned up together against Haiti and established the first, you know, embargo in the Western Hemisphere and just really has had their knee on Haiti's neck, so to speak, since then. But they also use people from Haiti itself. So the president right now, Jovenel Moïse, you know, he's a neo-colonial force. He works in the interest of white power against his, um, who was supposed to be his own people, um, the Africans in Haiti. Michel Martelly, the president before, you know, neo-colonial force. All of these, most of these forces have been neo-colonial forces used against the people, with the exception, possibly, of uh, who you mentioned, who, you know, was not a revolutionary, but was the last democratically elected president of Haiti and also one that demanded that France pay reparations. And then from that moment on, coups were, illegal coups were, were, were formed, or were orchestrated against him. But as far as like Jovenel Moïse right now, neo-colonial force. And, you know, to bring it, make it make sense to people outside of Haiti, just a lot of the people that um, you consider leaders in your community that actually don't do anything that works in the interest of the, of the community, they are neo-colonial forces. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Reports from the Ground from Haiti. Our guest is Alikia Ngoma, Haiti editor of the Burning Spirit newspaper. And lastly, uh, Alikia, how can people reach you if they want to get involved in the Burning Spirit or in African Socialist International? They can email... Elikia, that's E-L-I-K-Y-A, at theburningspear.com. If they wanted to get in touch with me, especially regarding Haiti, 
As far as the Burning Spear itself, you can visit theburningspear.com. And for the uh, African Socialist International, especially Africans who are interested in joining, you can visit asiuhuru.org. That's the website of the African Socialist International. Um, and or um, apsp.uhuru.org. That's African People's Socialist Party's website, which again, um, the APSPs around the world make up the ASI. So those are those are the four best ways to to contact either me, the Burning Spear, or um, the African Socialist International. All right. We want to thank our special guest, Alikia Ngoma, and you are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, health care, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit APEDS.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com for updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Ankh. Visit developmentforafrica.org. And thanks again to our guest, Alikia Ngoma, and the incredible info she shared with us today. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Viva la Haiti. Did I say that right? Viva <laughs> Haiti. Stay safe, stay sane, stay tuned. KBU, the best in community radio. Thank you.
You're listening to KBOO Portland at 90.7 FM and streaming on the web, kboo.fm. I'm Don Jacobson, and moving on, we'll be here in just a few minutes right after the news.